Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 29 and I am your host Brooke McCallery and uh, my co-host uh, and all-round good guy. <laughs> ben is sitting next to me. Hello. G'day. How are you going? Good. A little bit lost for words today, but... Wow. You are. That's rarely ha- that really rarely happens, doesn't it? Really, rarely. Really, rarely. <laughs> Good start to episode twenty nine, where you, um, in this episode, you interview Barack Obama. I do. Yeah, yeah I've taken after Mark Maron. It's mm. quite a big get, I think, for the show. Such mm. a young show, mm. um, an Australian show about slow living. It's you know, it's a really big coup. Mm. Agree. So this should really. Skyrocket you up the <laughs> iTunes podcast ratings. So, looking forward to a what we're going to be calling the Obama bump. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, seriously. No, seriously. Um, no, today I am actually chatting with Tish Oxenrider, who is the uh, Obama of simple living blogs, I, I believe. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, a really. It was a pleasure ch- t- t- chatting with Tish. Um, <laughs> pardon me. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with Tish. Actually, uh, her and her family stayed at our place. Um, we talk about it a bit in conversation, but I don't think we ever actually give the background to it. So, um, her and her husband and their three kids stayed at our place for a few weeks um, over Christmas, New Year period last year um, while they were on their big round the world trip and that's actually pretty much what we talk about a lot in today's episode is how to you know do long-term travel in a simple slow kind of intentional way and it was it was a really great conversation and I really really just want to up sticks and go now as a result. The amount of times that I heard you say that throughout so um as you're listening to this, we could be on a plane going anywhere, really. Um, now, it was a really good gush and plenty of laughs. Um, had to edit some of the rude jokes out. But, um, yeah, it's a nice, uh, light conversation. And, um, yeah, you do really talk about what it is to, to be travelling slowly with family and the challenges that that presents. Yeah, I just think it was a... I don't know. I mean, look, there's a million things I could talk with Tish about, but this is something that she's written about a lot lately and um, something that I know that a heap of people are interested in. And, uh, yeah, it was, I think, a really cool chat. When did you first meet Tish? Um, I met her at a I, – I, I knew of her for a long time, but I met her in person at a um, blogging conference about two years ago. Um, and where did you he- hear from her for the first time? Where do I-, I mean, how, how do you know her? Know of her? Yeah. Oh, she just has a huge reputation as um, someone who writes about simple living, specifically um, in relation to families. Like her, her blog used to be called Simple Mom, um, but now it's uh, The Art of Simple. So she, she still writes a lot about family and what it means to live simply with family, but she's kind of shifted away just one kind of level from that specific um, family kind of writing. But that's really her focus is still on people um, with families. Very, very cool. 
Um, this episode is sponsored by Audible.com, where you can listen to over 180,000 Audible books. What are they called? Audio books. Mm-hmm. Not Audible books. Audio books. Uh, and this week's recommendation is from Brooke's dad. Hey, Pete. Dad listens to every episode, so I'm just giving a shout-out to my old man. His recommendation, actually, he recommended this to us ages ago, a long time ago. It's a Stephen King book. I am a Stephen King fan, as you may know if you've listened to previous episodes. Quite a few, uh, a handful of my recommendations have been Stephen King books. But this one is 11 It's 11 63, and no, when this is not a reference to Lost or Bingo. <laughs> this is a Stephen King book, and it's a bloody good one. No, I would definitely recommend uh, recommend that. It's not read uh, or narrated by Stephen King, which is a bonus. I don't think his narration is his strongest um, trait, but it's um, yeah, it's a great book, and I would highly recommend it for anyone who's interested in I don't know. It's not really science fiction. I mean, not really science fiction. It's more of a head game kind of. Anyway, I won't say anything else about it, but it's it's an enjoyable book. So you can um, head to audibletrial.com slash slow and you can pick up a free ebook, uh, audio book. It could be the Stephen King book, but it could be one of 180,000 others. And, um, and you also get a, a, three, a free month's trial. As well, so you head to audibletrial.com slash slow 30 day trial. Also, if you wanted or interested in supporting the show further, why not visit um, patreon.com forward slash slow where you could possibly donate to the show um, to keep us running? And if you would want to explore further what was said in uh, today's episode, why don't you go and visit slowyourhome.com forward slash. 29, where you can get um, some links to some of the books and um, resources. and resources that uh, Tish and Brooke talk about, as well as or Tish's website and um, podcast and social media. Yeah, she's a podcaster. She has the, the Simple Show, which is a relaunch. She relaunched her show um, a few months back and is now producing new episodes uh, every week or every two weeks. And you can find her, I mean, her, her main hub, her main base is theartofsimple.net. One more thing before we jump into today's episode. Um, I know there's... I've mentioned it a couple of episodes ago, but I and myself and Sabelle Masterman, who's a guest, a previous guest on the show, are putting on a handful of uh, events in Australia. There's slow living workshops and um, we've got tickets that are on sale currently as this episode goes to air, which is maybe the 8th of October. Our first, first event is in Melbourne on the 18th of October. And uh, so there's still a handful of tickets left at this point in time if you're interested. And um, similarly, there are some tickets left for our Canberra event on November 1 and Brisbane on November 15. So essentially, I mean, look, I won't give you too much of a spiel, but if you are interested, you can head to theslowroad.co and um, that will take you to all of the details for the event and the um, ticket page as well. But it's just, we've, we've run one in Sydney before and it's such a... 
such a an affirming kind of day to spend with like-minded people and we we talk a lot about what slow living is and how to incorporate it into lives that are often the opposite of slow you know people will want to know how to do it so we we try and kind of balance between inspiring people to try slowing down and living more intentionally but also giving people a toolbox of ways to actually do that because that's the thing that we often found that people couldn't do um, it's actually put it into practice so that's that's mostly what we focus on in the workshops so if you would like some some more details you just head to the slowroad.co and enjoy the, the podcast enjoy the podcast enjoy the podcast you should be in bed the problem is I don't remember what happened after the mermaid wave, Mum. Well, hello, Tish. Hi, Derek. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so fun to talk to you after a little bit of a a break from that. I feel like it's, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen you. It's been, it has been a while. You've seen my house um, more, more recently than you've seen me, but. I know it's, and that was kind of the sad thing about our trip is that you and a few other people, we barely missed um, by like days, I think. So it was so great to stay in your house, but it was kind of sad to miss you. So I know. How was the timing? It's like, yeah, we'll be here for a month. Let's catch up. That's the exact I, month that we won't be there. <laughs> I know. What are the odds? What are the odds? I know. But we're very grateful for your uh, kids' toys and your bed and your shower. So thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad that you guys were able to to make the most of it. Um, it was and it was great to have someone here as well looking after the chickens. So thank you. <laughs> Yes. You know what? I don't even know if I've told you this, but did you know that the chickens got out one time and we had to chase them back in? Have we told you this? No. <laughs> I can't yeah. One of your, like our four-year-old, or he was four at the time, um, thought it would be fun to let them like free range it for a bit. <laughs> and we didn't notice till like, oh my gosh. So we had to run around and get them. It was all fine. Obviously we would have told you if something happened. <laughs> No, they're um they they enjoy they enjoy getting out of the cage. It's getting them back in that can be the difficulty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was the thing, and we were newbies at it. It's like, what does one do? Do you like call the chickens, like cows? <laughs> do you just pick them up? I don't know. It's like yeah. herding cats, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like toddlers. It really was like ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so you guys are back. You've been back on U.S. soil for a couple of months. Yeah, a couple of months now. Um, we ended our trip a little bit shorter than we wanted to. So we ended up taking a full school year instead of a full year, um, which here in the States is about nine months. So we got back in June. Okay. And how um, <laughs> we, like, we were only away when we, we, when we went away over uh, Christmas, we we're only away for a month and reentry was like rough for me. I really found it very difficult. Um, how did you find <laughs> settling back in? Well, um, you know, you say did, and it's we're right in the thick of it. So um, present tense for us, we are still readjusting. It's, um, you know, honestly, it's a bit hard because you're tired at the end. And so you're looking forward to going back. And so you go back and you taste that for a few weeks and you think, okay, I'm ready. At least that's the way it was for us. Like, I'm ready to get back out there. And 
of course, it's easy to look back and see everything with rose-colored glasses. And so, you know, I just remember the good things and not all the hard stuff of, of traveling worldwide with three little kids. Um, so, yeah, rough, bumpy reentry. Yeah, I can understand that. It's, um, yeah, it does. It, it, I mean, I love travel. I would do it permanently if I could, but it never quenches like my wanderlust. I'm always, uh, you know, always thinking about the next trip and always, um, you know, planning some ridiculously outlandish kind of adventure. Um, what was, did you have, did you have culture shock upon coming home? Yeah, surprisingly, which, uh, I've heard called reverse culture shock before where, um, where it can sometimes be even harder because you're not expecting it, you know? Um, when you're heading home and you start thinking about your favorite foods and your creature comforts that you look forward to and you're in bed and you don't think of the things that are different for you now. And the reason you don't think of them is because you never noticed them before. And we experienced this before when we, we used to live in Turkey. And so we lived there for three years and moved back to the States. And, um, there are just, it's always the surprising small things. And what I've heard most from other Americans are, um, was true for us, was true for us, which is the, um, selection of stores or the selection of things in the stores. Um, too many choices, which I think, um, really overwhelms me. And, um, uh, so many people yet the people aren't very um, flexible, if that makes sense. You know, here in the States, people want to get together with you, but three weeks from now, in between two other appointments, and, you know, and that was hard when we were used to a year now, you know, almost a year of just going by the seat of our pants, which was really enjoyable. It's that's really interesting, actually. Um, the I like both of those ideas, the idea of just being overwhelmed by options, you know, and I think in some way, like in Western cultures, we think that that's a sign of, you know, um, like affluence and it is, but is it like, the question is whether it's actually a positive thing, because I think so many of us are overwhelmed by like, not only just the idea of shopping or, you know, buying things or going to the grocery shop or whatever it is, but then also like the additional side of it, like you were saying, um, the number of options like socially and things that we could, we can spend our time doing and things that we feel like we should be doing. Like it's, it really kind of all adds up to this huge, I don't know, cultural overwhelm sometimes. And I guess coming back into it from a time where you guys were operating completely under your own steam and, um, you know, keeping kind of a pace that was much more suitable to you. That must've been a really kind of a big shock. Yeah, you know, um, there's a great book out called The Paradox of Choice, and it talks about how you would think that a lot of choices equal, um, you know, a simpler life or more flexibility because then you have myriad choices to choose to make it work for you. But really, the opposite happens where you have so many choices that you almost freeze from making any decision at all. And I have found that for sure to be true for us. Um, You know, when you're traveling, and you arrive in a city, whether you've been there or not, you're limited by whether you have a car or not. Let's say you're walking everywhere. You're limited by where you can walk within your neighborhood. You're limited by your own knowledge. What do I know about this area? What would be good? And, um, and you have minimal input, you know, instead of choosing from the 500 restaurants based on what friends and family have told you, you have, you know, what TripAdvisor says and you just go with it. And, um, and that's, that's been 
a bit of a bumpy part of our reentry. We also have moved to a big city again. You know, I grew up in Austin, Texas, but previous to the trip, we lived in a town of about 80,000 people, which for me is very small. And I didn't realize how much I grew to appreciate the, the limiting choices that a small town birds that end up making simple living. I feel like a little simpler, you know, there is one, uh, type of target store. There are three grocery stores. There's one library and it was nice, you know? I think there's definitely like a freedom in um in those limitations because you know as you say either just by a limit of what's on offer or by a limitation of what you know or don't know and you get by, you know, you're okay. <laughs> it's just you don't need the 500 restaurants, you don't need the, you know, 50 options for shopping or, you know, the the 10 different pairs of shoes that you need to read up all the online reviews on. Like you you get by and I think um I think often we find that idea initially kind of scary, but when you're faced with the reality of it, it's it's a freedom. It really is. Mm. You know, I think of the summer before our trip, we went to Italy with some friends and my phone wasn't working in this little village we were in. And I was trying to look up um, where the best gelato in town was. And I was getting frustrated that I couldn't look it up until I finally realized, you know what? I could like look up from my screen and ask somebody what a concept. (laughs) And so from then on the rest of the trip, I barely used my phone and I actually talked with people and if somebody, you know, the first person I asked, where's the good gelato, they would say, Oh, this way, I would just go there. I wouldn't like get 50 different people's opinions and then make a choice. I just went, you know, and it was wonderful. It was lovely. I was thinking about just that yesterday, actually, when Ben and I uh, and the kids were in Canada, um, we went on a few, you know, big drives and um, like I had my, my iPhone with us. So I would, while we're on Wi-Fi at the place we were staying, I would download all the maps and screenshot all the directions, you know, and it was fine because we got there and it was, you know, it was fine. Um, but then looking back, you know, 15, uh, 13 years ago or something like that, Ben and I traveled across um, Canada and then all the way across Europe and Southeast Asia. We didn't have phones. We didn't, we didn't even have a digital camera. And we drove all the way across Canada and all the way down the States, down to Florida. And um, we didn't have – we had like a paper map, you know, and we got lost. And <laughs> nobody died because we got lost. We discovered things because we got lost, you know. And I think sometimes we're afraid of getting lost or kind of not knowing where we're going. And I don't know why because that's to me, is part of the, the fun. So I think next time we travel, I would love to go back to, you know, paper maps or um, not having a map at all and kind of feeling our way around because I think it's it's fun, yeah, absolutely. It's fun. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for life too. You know, when you're, you're, you're limited by what you can see on the paper map, it, it allows you to go more on your instincts and you notice more about what you're actually in the mood for how everyone else in the car is doing, you know, I mean, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but you know, you just, I don't know when you, when you limit yourself to, um, all the input in your life, you're just, I don't know, you can feel your five senses more, you know? And so, um, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. No, I think, I think we need to bring back paper maps. Yes. <laughs> um, so how long were you guys planning your trip before you went away? Well, um, unofficially for about five years, you know, we started talking about the idea soon after we moved back to the States from Turkey where we um, already missed 
living abroad and raising our kids to be more globally minded. And one evening, Kyle just said, hey, why don't we actually take the show on the road? Who says we have to stay and and hunker down and live the conventional life? And and so that was always sort of out on the radar, you know, and it and impacted some of our decisions when it came to where we live, um, what we spent our money on, um, schooling choices, stuff like that. But we didn't officially start planning it until about two years before the trip. And then, and that's when we really started looking into things like, um, you know, reading travel blogs and, and kind of bookmarking ideas on, on a, uh, on a trail for us and starting to price out different gear and tickets that we would need. And then the year before is when we started making decisions, you know, like firm decisions on what we were going to do and what we were going to bring. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, specifically the reason I ask about that, because people will look at your experience and say, oh, that must have been amazing, you know, how like how how wonderful. But it's kind of like the, the story of an overnight success. You know, no one sees the five years or the 10 years or the 15 years that lead up to it. So I think it's really interesting and kind of key for people to understand that this is like a long time coming. It's not something that you can just jump into and as, as amazing as it is to look at it from the outside, like I imagine some of the, <laughs> some of the preparation must've been fairly, um, you know, taxing. And then of course planning for it financially and then planning for it logistically. Uh, like to me, that's all fun stuff, but I think it's just really important to kind of get that background. Yeah. yeah. Well, and plus, I mean, I, I kind of liken it to having a baby. You know, people always ask how you know when you're ready. And the answer is you're never ready. You know, there's no way you can be ready. Yet at some point, you just need to take that next step. You know, so you you plan all you can and you prepare and you read up and you and you educate yourself. But at some point, you just need to buy your first ticket and then just try it out. And that's how we approached it, you know, with all our planning. I love planning as well. Um, but I realized at some point, okay, we don't even know how we're going to be. We've never been totally location independent before. We've traveled overseas, but we've never just kind of gone this far, lived out of our backpacks for this long. Um, we don't know if we're going to actually love, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. So we just decided, okay, we need to make some firm decisions before we leave, but not too many. So we just did a little bit and then just sort of took that blind step out and then went as we, you know, we planned as we went, basically. Man, this is um, <laughs> this is not doing anything to keep me grounded. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you basically you should get on the plane tomorrow and go and just <laughs> sold done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember, you know, we bought our tickets in our plane tickets in chunks of three. So we did a third of the trip at a time. And so we were in Queensland. I don't, I think kind of middle of nowhere. Oh no, Port Douglas, Queensland. We were camping. And oddly enough, this campground place had decent internet in their like, I don't even know what you call it, like the check-in building kind of thing. And so I just remember sitting out there on the front porch in this humidity and hearing all these crazy Australian animals that I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> and I'm on the phone booking flights, you know, throughout Africa and Europe. And I was like, this is so weird. But that's just that was part of the life. And, it, you know, looking back now, it's like, man, that was fun. But at the time, it was like, oh, stressful. So, yeah. 
And I guess that's it. Looking back at me, I do the same thing with travel. There are moments when we've traveled and Ben and I will just look at each other and we're like, why are we doing this? Are we completely <laughs> insane people? And then, you know, you get back and those days fade and the extraordinary yeah. days kind of grow. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but that's that's life. I mean, I think that's that's pretty typical to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And our kids are that way too. You know, it's already been a year now since we first left on our trip. And so um, we're recalling kind of what we did on this day. And a few days ago, our, um, I told our oldest daughter, hey, Tate, one year ago today, you threw up all over the Beijing metro. <laughs> and and she just started laughing. It's like, oh, I remember that. That was funny. And I was thinking at the time, that was so not funny. That was miserable. <laughs> we were all miserable. And so it is really funny how hindsight really is twenty twenty, And, you know, the what's that whole like tragedy plus time equals comedy thing. It really is true with travel. Oh, and nothing brings out, you know, the essence of your personality, I think as much as a stressful travel situation as well. (laughs) So true. It is so true. And I feel like just within a marriage too, you know, you, you get to know each other so much better and differently. You know, I don't know if you guys found this, but we almost take on different personalities when we're traveling, especially cross-culturally. Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually, um, because it's it's a whole it's a whole other kind of playing field, and and the way you know we we like make up for shortcomings either in language or you know cultural understanding or whatever, um, kind of taps into different parts of our our personality, um, and it's it's it really is interesting, and I think it's it kind of brings a depth to to you know your relationship that is harder to to come by. It's true. It's true. You know, I had a friend who did a round the world trip before us, well, a couple, and the husband asked us a few months in, it was almost like he was eager to find our answer. He's like, so tell me, how is this on your marriage? Like he was saying it with a smile on his face. Like he was hoping we were going to say totally crappy, you know, like it's really (laughs) hard because that's exactly what happened to them, you know, and they worked through it and it was all, it ended up even better, you know, It, it brought them closer together, but um, it's just kind of funny how it really does, you know, take you through some of the hardest stuff of your life, but it ends up being worth it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, I mean, looking back, did uh, were both of both you and Kyle um, similarly eager to jump in, or did one of you need more convincing than the other? We were both eagerly um, excited about the trip, and both, you know. We both wanted to. Um, we have we met overseas, so we both already had travel in our blood, just independently from each other. We didn't have to convince one another to, you know, try different cultural experiences. But we do travel differently. Kyle is better at flying off the seat of his pants, and I flying by the seat of his pants, not flying, <laughs> whatever that phrase is, flying by. And I am a little bit more of a planner, and. And yet at the same time, he rubs off me, I rub off him. So we, it works out well. But, um, and so when we led up to it, I was the one that was having to convince him, you know, we really need to start looking into where we want to go first and where we want to stay. And he was a little bit more of the, let's just put it off to closer to time kind of, you know, approach to it. I think it's kind of a good balance to have actually, because there's a real, 
Um, I think particularly when you're traveling with kids, there does need to be some kind of element of knowing where you're going rather than just turning up to the airport and looking at the departures board. Go, oh, okay, yeah, no, that looks good. Costa Rica looks awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing, actually. It does. And I would, I would like to do that. I think it would just be a big stretch for me because I'm similarly like a, a bit of a planner. I like spontaneity, but um, I think I've become less spontaneous since we've had kids in, in terms of knowing at least the next couple of steps. Yes, that's exactly it for me. I think once we're empty nesters, I'll probably be a lot more laid back and sure, we'll just go here. Sure, I'll just buy whatever I need there. But there's something about tossing kids in the mix that just makes you feel a little more, <laughs> you know, like you've lost your safety net unless you just do a little bit of planning. But I will say I, I was reminded of the on the trip how resilient kids really are. You know, I think sometimes we project our our nervousness onto them. And really, um, <laughs> really, they're not, at least our kids aren't nearly as um, rigid as, as we tend to think they are. Yeah, I think actually, that's probably a lot more the case. You know, I think it's more about us projecting our concerns rather than the kids actually, um, you know, going to be damaged by, <laughs> by, you know, by not For having sure. something planned or, or whatever. But um, so the kids traveled well. They traveled amazingly well. You know, honestly, I think the easiest part of our trip were the flights because our kids are so good on airplanes. They're, you know, first of all, they're four and up. I think any younger than that, flying is a little bit of a challenge uh, with preschoolers, toddlers, you know, kids who are still wearing diapers. So I say this from experience, having done that for many years, that we're now in the stage where it's easier. Um, but they're so good at entertaining themselves and you know, I don't know, it was just easy to be on a plane. But even once we were out and about, they were great about um, just sort of winging it and trying new things. And they're not typically trying new things typers, you know, especially one of my kids who is a picky eater. I was pretty nervous about whether he would try anything at all. And um, he, he was really um, delightful and how willing he was, you know, at the end of the day, he still preferred pizza, you know, but he was at least willing to try a few new things. And so, um, they did so great. Uh, I think that's awesome because I think that's one of the things that holds people back from traveling when their kids are young. Um, you know, both the idea of getting on a plane for a long period of time terrifies people, but our experiences have been kind of similar to yours that, uh, you know, provided you prepare the kids for what's going to happen and, you know, they understand that, there's hundreds of other people around them and kicking seats and stuff is kind of not cool and um, all that kind of stuff. But also, you know, I think the age thing does help. Um, like we did fly with our kids when they were younger and it was, it's just more taxing. I think, you know, yeah. you really need to be on um, to kind of make sure that they're not bugging everybody. And it speaks into that. Um, if you go in thinking it's, you know, I'm going to do what I can to make it just like traveling without kids, you're going to be really frustrated, <laughs> you know, but if you go in knowing, okay, this is traveling with kids, it's a whole different animal, you know, um, I'm not going to have, it's not going to be a relaxing vacation. I mean, none of that, you yeah. know, um, I'm not going to be well rested or anything. I'm going to have fun, but it's, <laughs> and so if you go in like that with, I mean, it sounds kind of depressing, but really if you lower your expectations or maybe change your expectations, then it's a lot easier. I think that's exactly right. Our first trip with, with, I think I was pregnant with Toby, um, you know, and Isla was only like a toddler 
and um, it was like we went to Fiji or something like that. Um, and I'm like, why is this not relaxing? <laughs> uh, because you have an 18 month old. <laughs> oh yeah, it's you know, so and it was good. just shifting that to to becoming about all of us, not just you know sitting sitting in the sun drinking gin and tonic. Then it became just something different and just as good, but just different. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> I've got written here. How did you maintain your sanity? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone asks that. <laughs> um, you know, I remember. Okay, so I was in Melbourne with uh, the Rouses, Darren and Vanessa Rouse, and I remember we were at the park, and Vanessa, we were, I don't know, off to the side, and she just <laughs> kind of said, "Finally," she said, "So." do you just love being around your kids all the time? <laughs> kind of like asking basically if I was a different species because you, when you think of yourself as a mom, you think how on earth would anyone deliberately spend 24 seven with your kids, you know? And, um, and that was definitely probably the most challenging part of the whole trip was these people you love the most and the people you know the most are also the people you're around almost the entire time without a break, sometimes in very close quarters <laughs> and sometimes in very um, unknown situations. And so there's a lot that can just tax you, you know. Um, and so we, we learned eventually how to um, practice some self-care so that we could go long, you know. One of the ways we we did this was with our trip planning. We purposely did not um, travel around nearly as much as we probably would have if it were just me and Kyle. Um, I don't remember how many countries we went to, but in between a lot of uh, moving around, we parked for a long time. So we were in Thailand for almost two months, and we really didn't travel around much. We kind of stayed put, and we did regular life stuff. We did a lot of cooking. We um, did a lot of school with the kids. I got caught up on work. Um, we met with some people, you know, light, regular stuff. Um, and then we traveled around again. And then when we went to your house in Sydney, um, that was another time when we had a month just to lay low. And so we kind of had this ebb and flow experience of the trip. And that totally held our sanity because I remember a few weeks before, uh, maybe even just a few days before, uh, a week before getting to your house um, in Singapore. And I was about to lose my mind because we were all in a room together and the kids are being loud and I love Asia, but it's also so different from Western culture, you know, that all the smells and sounds were just getting to me that I just, I put on my earbuds and I put my eye mask on and I just told everybody like, I'm going away. I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) And it really restored some of that, you know, so I had to find those little corners to tuck away to and not apologize for them at all because I knew how I was made. And I think that must be key because um, I'm really similar in that way. I'm like, I need alone time. Even if it's not physically, I just need like mental quiet time where I can just, you know, kind of build my energy back up from the inside. Um, and I think knowing that must be key because uh, otherwise you would apologize for it. You would feel, um, you know, like you weren't like being where you needed to be or being present or whatever. But the reality would be that sometimes you just need to check out just for your own sake, which in turn would make you, you know, a million times better to be around down the track. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And, you know, the way we traveled too was 
Um, we weren't the type to see all the things, you know, it, it would be very tempting to think, okay, we're in Southern France, we've got to create this to do list and hit all the things, because who knows if we're going to be here again, we, ha- we checked that idea out the window, especially with kids, but even long term travel, especially, we would have, we decided we'd rather go deeper with fewer places, and really experience, you know, some version of regular life. And so um, that's what we did. You know, I think that helped restore our sanity, too. We, we let go of this pressure to make sure we saw absolutely everything that one place had to offer. Because you won't be able to, you know. you'll. Ne- I mean, if you think of your own home, um, you know, like Sydney and for me, Austin, when you think of the, all these places you would love to visit in your own place, you, you haven't been to all of them. <laughs> you know, you're not going to experience it all. Um, it's the same with all these places you're visiting, too. So don't even try, you know. And then Ben and I travel in exactly the same way. Like when we went um, to Canada on our most recent trip, we stayed in the same place for a month. We, we, Mm -hmm. you know, we rented an apartment and we stayed put for a month. We did day trips, um, but we went, you know, we, we bought groceries where local people buy groceries and like Canada is not um, a cultural removal (laughs) from Australia very much, but you Mm -hmm. know, it just, you just got to know a place Like we had friends who lived in the town that we stayed at and we, we just, we hung out, you know, we didn't feel pressured to go and do, you know, 15 day trips in a month or, um, you know, to, to go and explore everything. And just taking that slow approach to travel to me is it's, it's so preferable to, like you say, touring around and changing hotels every two nights and, you know, never being able to unpack and never being able to kind of just sit and have a meal and, um, you know, get to know the, the, the pace of, a place and mm-hmm. that is I, I mean I just love it like I, we took long walks and I went and hung out at the library and um you you get a connection I think and it's just I guess it's just another way of being like present and not tick 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 I've seen this site I've seen that cathedral I've seen this you know museum <laughs> and Ben and I did that when we first traveled in Europe like we we did the train through Europe and it was a fantastic way of traveling. But like we stopped in Amsterdam for a week and that was probably the longest stop we had anywhere. Beyond that, it mm. was maybe Paris for two days and then Barcelona for a couple of days. And we just kind of went through our guidebook. Like, well, we've got to see this. We've got to see this. And the times that we remember are the times that um, we weren't doing that. Yeah. And, you know, with kids too, it's funny in Europe, um, we have a better grasp of history, obviously, you know, in context of like, this was 500 years ago, this is 200 years ago, and let's compare and contrast the differences. With the kids, all this old stuff eventually just kind of became yeah. all the same, like, oh, another castle, yeah. And I remember Kyle and I noticing this whenever we were, you know, we rented a car for our time in Europe, and we were driving, and I, I don't even, there were some kind of ruins, and we as we were driving by, I said, oh, kids, look, that's from the Roman Empire. Look over there. There's some columns. And they all just kind of looked up and then looked back down and kept reading their, reading their books. Like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, you know, that's a good reminder. <laughs> we don't really need to invest in every single moment here. And I think part of it's just driven by fear as well, you know, like the whole fear of missing out. Like, like you say, mm-hmm. you might not ever get back there. But, would you know, I know I would prefer to have had some kind of deep experience of a place um, rather than a shallow kind of broad experience of a place, because I, I know what I, what I kind of connect with more Absolutely. and that's, yeah. And you, just, <laughs> you were talking about driving past the ruins. It just reminded me of that scene from, um, National Lampoon's European vacation. Yes. Where they're going around and around the roundabout in London. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We joked about that some in Paris. <laughs> yep. 
this is such an annoying question, I'm sure. Did you have a favorite destination? <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind answering it. Um, well, my go- I have three go-to answers, and it just depends on what mood I'm in. Um, we love New Zealand. And the, the reason is pretty obvious, I think. You know, it's beautiful. And um, the people are lovely. And it's just beautiful. But it was so expensive that we didn't do a ton of stuff. We, we drove around mostly. Um, we rented a camper van. We found a really cool online deal um, where they sometimes want – they need someone to transport from one city to another, a camper van. Um, and they end up – it's like $5 a day or something. Yeah, wow, and so, okay. Yeah, so we did one of those, and that was a great way to see New Zealand because then we could eat cheese and crackers, and <laughs> you know, um, so that was a an amazing bright spot on our trip. Um, but we do wish we had more of a budget to really fully dive in to New Zealand. Um, we also loved Italy, also for all the obvious reasons, you know, the food and the history and um, the beauty and the people. I mean. I, that was my second time to Italy and I want to go back forever and ever, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite countries. Um, but the one I think was most surprising for us was Croatia. Um, we love, we had heard good things about Croatia and since we had met, you know, however many years ago in, in Kosovo, we have a little bit of history with the Balkans and we're eager to get back there. But I was so surprised at how, um, you know, I've seen pictures of Croatia, so I knew it'd be beautiful, but how wonderful, and affordable and friendly it was. And for an English speaker too, how easy it was to be there. There are a lot of people living, you know, doing the location independent kind of lifestyle there. Um, great internet access. So it was good for those of us who work online, um, kid friendly, lots to do. Um, I don't know. We, we just loved Croatia and could see ourselves going back there again and spending longer time there. Yeah, I've heard a lot of amazing things about Croatia too. Um, my best friend lives in London and she spent quite a lot of time there. She says it's just a, a phenomenally beautiful place, but it's something beyond that. Um, the people, the, you know, yeah, the everything. So, okay. Well, and it's nice because it's Europe, but it's still not entirely touristed yet, you know. Yes. So it's still affordable and it's not just swarming with people. Yeah, all right, I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't help at all. <laughs> my ever-growing list. Right. Um, I know we've just been talking about um, travel. I hope that's okay with you. Um, it's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about it all day. But awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what did you um, notice – in different kind of in different cultures in terms of the way they parent or the way they approach parenting because i i kind of feel um like the states and australia to a certain extent as well is a lot less free in terms of um you know our ability to parent in the way that feels right for us like where there's a lot of shoulds and you know judgments and comparisons that that happen in our cultures um particularly around parenting. Did you guys find that different countries had a different approach? Yeah. And what's funny is I remember in April we were in Turkey revisiting, you know, our home and, and seeing people. I remember my daughter who was 10 by then, we were waiting for something and we're sitting in the car and she said, mom, would you mind writing a letter to President Obama and telling him <laughs> that it really would be nice if there weren't so many rules for kids 
um, about what they can and can't do because it's been really nice to not have so many rules. And I, I laughed, first of all, for her thinking it was the president's doing <laughs> and, <laughs> and that there was some kind of law about it. But I knew what she meant. And she was she was getting at the feeling that in the States, um, a lot of our decision making is based not so much on our, our gut parental instincts, but on what other people might think mm-hmm. or um, what is kind of culturally what like what you said, should and should not do. And honestly, a lot of these cultures, I would say Asia and Africa, especially, there's a lot of, I mean, I hate the term free range parenting, because that can mean a lot of different things to people. But there is a lot more of the letting the kids um, be who they are and have the, you know, a healthy amount of responsibility um, out in the world. And there's also a lot more grace for kids to be kids. And so, you know, in Turkey, I remember this when we were living there, how great it was to be able to let the kids kind of wander around in the park and you might not actually physically see them, but I never once worried that something would happen to them because it's a little bit more of a community minded culture and people tend to watch out for each other. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, there just wasn't any sort of fear of what might happen or what other people might think <laughs> if I didn't see my kids all, you know, all the time. And if they did start getting loud or, or bonk, bouncing off the walls or something, people just kind of smiled. They know that that's what kids do sometimes. So this isn't to say like America's bad and, and everywhere else is good. Cause you know, I want to be careful not to do that as well, but it was really freeing to, to be in a place where I wasn't necessarily concerned that I might look a certain way. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, um, it's just so much, driven by fear both both like fear of judgment because everyone everyone has an opinion and most most of us aren't afraid to kind of let fly with it um but when your kind of style or your approach is different to what mainstream tells us you know it should be um there's like there's the fear of judgment and there's but then there's also the whole fear of you know the bad guys lurking around every corner and um you know all these horrible things that are happening and there are horrible things happening but i don't think they're nearly as prevalent as we're kind of made to believe and as prevalent as we're fearful of so i think fear plays a huge part in the way that we parent you know in kind of similar western cultures I agree. You know, I, I think um, this is kind of my only one soapbox in my life, I feel like, is is kids and this um, unnecessary fear-based parenting. Because I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I've actually heard that in the States, it's safer than it has been in the past 30 years. Just some people think it's not because we have instant access to information. So you hear about some kind of crime that happened 2,000 miles away, you know, and it's easy to think, oh, that could be lurking around my neighborhood when really odds are, you know, slim to none that's going to happen. And so that just <laughs> that that fuels a lot of people's parenting decisions, which is really unfortunate for our children. Yeah. And when, you know, even to a point where when I was growing up and my kids have a similar upbringing to me, simply because I guess that's how I was growing up. I, I was brought mm-hmm. up. But, you know, we were pretty much thrown out in the backyard in the afternoon it's like play in the dirt climb trees swing you know invent games get bored get dirty get kind of like be kids be adventurous like make a ruckus because that's what you kind of that's what you do and that's how you expel energy and you know learn and and grow and your imagination takes over um but even to a point where uh people are hesitant to do that because they're fearful of being you know 
labeled as negligent or mm-hmm. not engaged or you know no that's that to me that's that's childhood like get out there and get covered in dirt and you know mm-hmm. dig holes and play and all that kind of stuff it's um yeah i think it it's 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 really interesting um and kind of problematic sometimes i think that that so many of our decisions are based on fear yeah and you know one of the byproducts of the trip that um has been interesting you know we some intentional and some uh, not intentional is that we are a little more um, relaxed about the kids now in the States, even if it feels a little bit risky, you know, with what will other people think. But um, I just, from they showed themselves to be entirely responsible in so many ways. And so I want to honor and respect them in that by giving them some freedom, you know, letting my daughter ride her bike around the neighborhood. And, um, and and when it comes to toys, too, and what they need for play, you mentioned sticks and mud and dirt. I mean, that is absolutely true. We hardly had any toys with us. We brought a little bag of Lego and some drawing supplies, art supplies, and that's it. And they were totally, completely fine. And, you know, every now and then we'd go to a place with a few play things, and that was a nice little break. But otherwise, we didn't carry anything. And so coming back, um, we've just been a lot more minimalist with our parenting, both in rules and philosophy, you know, but also in physical things. And it's been really good. Yeah, that's something I was actually going to ask you, you know, in terms of packing for five people as well. I think um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a whole conversation in and of itself. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, again, people would be worried, like my kids will be bored if they don't have, you know, 15 books and um, all these options of, of things to play with. But I guess so what your kids found is that they like they find a way, they 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 do other things because the option, you know, the endless options of having a room full of toys is not there. Uh, and they, they kind of fill the gap in, in other ways. Yeah, they really do. You know, I mean, not only do they find things to play with along the way, you know, I remember just staying in guest houses and they'd find a thing of sticky notes and, Ooh, let's play, you know, they invented a whole game of store and made their own currency. And, you know, they, they did that for hours one time. Or the travel itself is the entertainment. You know, you don't necessarily need to fill every waking moment with something entertaining because what you're doing is entertaining on its own. Um, And then the other thing that I think is easy to forget in the planning process is that if you really need something, you can probably find it. You know, kids play with toys all over the world. Um, You know, there are shirts all over the world. And so if you get frozen in an, in the preparation part of like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to pack. It's easy to forget, oh, I can just get something all in the way if I need it. And we absolutely did that, especially when it came to clothing. Um, if we just, if we felt the need for something or to replace something, we just got it, you know, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. I think, um, again, you know, when, when people pack and I'm getting, incrementally better at packing as I go to a point where I think our next trip, I feel like we could, the two of us, the four of us could go with kind of two bags between us, which would Mm -hmm. be amazing. Last time was three and now I think it'd be down to two because of that exact reason, you know, even in the the deepest (laughs) kind of, um, you know, most remote parts of anywhere, you know, of Africa, you can still buy things that you need. And if you, if you can't have it for a day or two, you'll be okay. Like, unless it's, you know, life-saving medication, of course, or something like that, uh, you'll be okay. Uh It's so true. And, 
and Kyle and I were just talking the other day, like, how would you pack differently? And we both said we would pack even less, mm-hmm. which is funny because we didn't pack very much. But when you look back, you don't think, oh, that was so much fun to, you know, I don't know, go on safari. But if only I were wearing that one T-shirt, you know, of course not. <laughs> you know, you're fine. When you have those limitations, like I'm going to pick this thing, you're great with it. You don't care in the moment. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, uh, you come home and you think, oh, yeah, I did have that in my bag and I never used it. And, you know, <laughs> it, <laughs> it really um, is true. That eighty twenty principle still applies even when you hardly have anything with you. It's so funny. So, I mean, since you guys have gotten home, I'm assuming you had some stuff in storage um, after after your trip. Have you felt the need to kind of declutter and let go of more stuff? It is phenomenal how much we have continued to get rid of things. Before we left on our trip, I would say we got rid of um, maybe a third of our belongings. You know, we sold our house and put it all in a storage unit. And we kept what we felt like were the essentials, you know, the furniture and some clothes and the kids' favorite toys and books. Um, But since traveling with such a small amount of things for almost a year, it really shows you how little you really need. I mean, like really, really little you need. And so I would say after getting rid of a third, we have since gotten rid of another half of our stuff. And I don't feel like we had a lot to begin with, at least maybe by typical American standards. So, and we're continually doing this. Like I was just the other day going through the boys drawers and thinking they don't need this many shirts. I want to get rid of some because this is needless to me, you know? And so it's just an ongoing process I feel like, but yeah, I mean, we, we've really purged quite a bit. And how did the kids, um, react when they came home so you know traveling being on the road for nine months and then coming home to um stuff that they wouldn't have seen for almost a year how did they respond to it were they overwhelmed or were they happy to to kind of have their toys back or Uh it was I was so curious how they were going to respond and so it was it was I was eager to see it it was interesting so there were a few items that they clearly were excited to see um things that were um, truly open-ended in their play, like bicycles, you know, they, they were so happy to have their bikes and their scooters. Um, and maybe a few other things that we just didn't have any version of on the trip. Like I, I can't even think of what at the moment, everything else, they were kind of like whatever about. And in fact, I didn't even show them everything because, um, it was one of those out of sight, out of mind things. Um, we have some toys still packed up in our boxes, um, that we have not gotten out. And I'm just holding on just out, almost out of curiosity if they ask about them. And so far, and it's been a couple months now, they have not once asked about them. So I'm not even going to, we'll probably get rid of them, you know, um, because they don't need them. And honestly, even the few toys we still have, they play in the same way. You know, they play outside in the dirt with the water and the, um, you know, our, our kids are super into just drawing and make-believe. So they've, it's the proverbial they love the cardboard box more than the stuff inside (laughs) since we've moved they have been playing with cardboard boxes and tape and markers and so we just go with it you know so um they didn't miss their stuff at all not one bit yeah I kind of do something similar with things that I'm the kids haven't played with um but uh, you know I'm I'm kind of loathe to get rid of them immediately just just in case you know there was a momentary lapse and they decide that they love it all of a sudden again but I'll put things away in a box you know in our linen cupboard for three (laughs) months and if the kids haven't a noticed that 
that it's gone or B, asked for it after three months, I feel more than happy to let it go and give it away or, you know, um, you know, get rid of it from our house because I honestly think that they think that they want it, but when they <laughs> when they've forgotten that it even exists, you you know, it's a pretty safe bet that they can <laughs> kind of get by. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, you guys, you've moved, so you're you're. Are you back in Austin? Yeah, I'm in Austin right now. Okay. Uh, how are you finding the pace? It's a bit rough, you know, um, this is the big city that we moved to from the smaller town before the trip. And it is, and not only is it fast, but it's also slow in that it takes forever to get anywhere. Mm. (laughs) Um, it feels fast, like, okay, hurry and get there, be there at this particular time and get involved in all these things. And, um, you know, we, we have lots of family and friends here, which is the main reason we moved, which is moved back to Austin, which is great fun, but there's always something to say yes to. And so it is a bit of a drain to suddenly have um, less free time than was so naturally um, obvious on the trip. But it's also slower in that it just takes so much longer to get places. You know, when you when we were on our trip, um, getting ready to go somewhere was ridiculously easy because there were no choices and no distractions. And then, um, you know, I know it depends on the type of city you're in, but Austin has horrible traffic. And so you plan to go to the other side of town. That is your entire day. You know, it's, I mean, in some ways it's like Sydney. I know, although it's smaller than Sydney, that's for sure. So I think you have it even more. Plus it's more expensive where you are. So you really have to count whether it's worth it. Um, but it's still so like, how did this happen? I miss being able to, I don't know, go somewhere and 10 minutes later be there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really big um, part of living in a bigger city that you know we may not necessarily think about um, initially, but it's just it's <laughs> it's a drain on our time just getting places. You know, recently I had a um, a man on the podcast named uh, William Powers who. Uh, did a a 12 month slow living in New York city experiment. And then he wrote about it. Um, you know, and his was, yeah, I listened to that one. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, but everything had to change in order for him to embrace slow in the city. You know, everything he, he worked far fewer hours. He, you know, um, they moved into a micro apartment, like everything changed. So I think, um, you know, having to kind of live your, like your your regular life in a big city after moving after being away almost for a year, but then also um, your previous hometown was much smaller. Like that would be a huge adjustment. It is, and you know, honestly, podcasts like like his, I think, are encouraging to me because my big takeaway from the trip was you know you can really live slowly and live simply in any environment. It, it has so much to do with your attitude and your mindset and working with what you have. And I think that's what I'm learning right now is how to work with what I have here, because what I have here is different now. Um, and so it's not a wrong or right. It's just a different way to do it, you know? And, and um, so people like him really inspire me. Yeah. And it's something that I'm asked about a lot. You know, people, a lot of people say, but I live, you know, in an urban area. I live in the city. I live like smack bang in the suburbs. I can't 
or don't want to move to the country or I don't want to start growing all my own food or, you know, it, none of those things is necessary for slow living. People can live in New York City and still live slow. Carl Honoré lives in London and he's a fast paced guy. Like he talks fast, he moves fast, he, he plays fast sports, but he's still, you know, a slow living, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of guy because it's mindset, you know, it's about priorities and, um, you know, what you choose to do with your time and, and how you choose to, to manage it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that Carl Honoré would be a fast talker. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I watched his TED Talk um, before I interviewed him and he's just, like, he's a fast-paced guy, like everything, his, mo- his motions, his, his, um, his, the way he speaks, it's, it's very funny. <laughs> Mr. Slow is very, very fast. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before I let you go, what um what's next for you guys? I know you're you're working on a, a new book. Um do you have a another trip planned or are you just settling for a while? Well, a little yes to all of that. Um I'm working on my book right now and it's the manuscript is due this fall, well, November for here. And um and then after that it'll be a little bit until it's released to the world, which I always appreciate that downtime and so um, my one focus is the book writing, but after that, um, as a family, what we've decided is we want to always make travel part of our life and we're never going to not, um, always want to try to, you know, head out someplace new. So we want the rest of our life to reflect that. And yet at the same time, and this is exactly what my book is about. And yet at the same time, we're homebodies and that would seem like a paradox, right? That there's this homebodiness in us and this wanderlust in it. And it feels like there's a tension, but really they can play together. And I think they, um, so many of us have that within us. And that, that's something we absolutely discovered on this trip is how much I, I craved a sense of home on this, you know, worldwide living in a different house every few days. Um, and so I, we want to keep traveling yet we want a home base. And so our next plan after the book is to look into maybe building a house or, or renovating a house. Kyle, um, is a former contractor, so he knows how to build from the ground up. Um, a very small place. Like we, we don't want something big. We want something very small. And Austin is a city that, um, has a lot of visitors so you can easily rent out your house in a place like Airbnb or home away. And so we want to build a house intentionally with that in mind so that we can travel frequently, live small and, you know, as slowly as we can in a city and still visit places when the kids aren't doing school or whenever we have a a chance within our work. Um, So the plan right now is to do that. And Every morning, Kyle and I go on a walk um, to start off our day, and we tend to just daydream about trips. <laughs> so um, right now, we're talking about South and Central America, and, and you know, just a few hours ago, Kyle was like, maybe we could drive down from Texas, and it's like, I never thought of that. So who knows? Maybe we'll take a driving trip all the way down to Patagonia. Um, oh, man. <laughs> we'll see. But that, <laughs> I know, right? But uh, that's the plan right now, is to... Um, it's, you know, we, we're very intentional, but we're looking, we've got the long view right now. This is going to be, this is a long frame. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm listening to that. It's so intentional. You know, you guys are, you're thinking it's not, yeah, it's not short term gain. Like I, I want to go right now. So let's go right now. It's kind of, how can we keep this lifestyle going, um, you know, for many years? And I think that that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have the temptation to 
take little weekend trips. And, you know, I was just thinking, I'm so tempted to just drive to the airport and like just take the next flight out wherever it is. But, you know, limitations, man, like money and kids and all that. That's okay. Life, yeah. <laughs> you got to work around those Life, things. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I'm yeah. Before I let you go, just the driving holiday thing is something that just floats my boat so much. Ben and I are looking at mm. doing some kind of enormous drive, you know, right up from like the Yukon uh, in Canada all the way down to um, I don't know, down to Central America oh. somewhere. It would just be phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's something. Anyway, that's something that I could talk about forever, but I won't. I. I know, I know. I read the bl- a blog of a family who bicycled down from Idaho, which is northern U.S., all the way down to, um, I forget, we are in South America, I think really far south. And it's like, man, we could so do that. We yeah. really could. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's not, it is, it is bad for my wanderlust talking to you, Tish. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Well, me too. But actually, it's a good outlet because I like having someone else who gets it, you know? Yeah. Not everybody does. No, I know. That's true, actually. That's really true. Uh, but I will I will let you go. Thank you so much for talking to, to me. It was a highlight of my day. Thank you so much, Brooke. Oh, pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.